please stand. Revelations 4. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and all around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, and the third creature was like the, the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they exist and were created.
Father, that's why we're here. We're here to re be reminded because life has so many distractions, so many things all around us all the time, just living life day to day. And so we need to be reminded that as we look as John gave us that vision of heaven, he saw a throne and he saw the one who created the heavens and the earth. He saw the one that sent the Lord Jesus to come and die for our sins. He saw him who was, he saw him on that throne. And it was so overwhelming that everybody just falls down in heaven and says, holy, 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 praise you. And Lord, that's what we want to do. To some degree, we're not in heaven, but uh, we're here. You're here in spirit. The Holy Spirit is working through us. So we just pray that uh, as we think about how great you are today, that we would truly worship you. And we pray to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you're seated, say hello to somebody. Joe, we need to buy a, a laptop or something for it. It's going to be, I mean, or something. Okay, we're, we're celebrating how great our God is. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that may actually arise, arise? That may actually raise more questions in your mind than it will answer. 
but it's in the word of God, it's important. And I think the main thing, we don't want to get lost. The plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. And the main thing is, we have an awesome God. And we have, and our God is great, and so that's what we're going to see. All right.
that's true. It is so true. That of all, and you know, as we live our lives, our, our lives, our hearts hunger for a lot of things. We may need healing. We may need direction. We may need encouragement. We may need provision. All kinds of things that only really you can provide. But we're thankful that you're there. Indescribable. Unbelievable. You who know our hearts best love us the most. I mean, what an amazing, comforting thought. But Father, as we have gathered this morning, you know, we gather in Thanksgiving, we gather to recognize just how great and how good you are, because really, that's what holds life, that's what holds life together. That's what holds life together. And uh, without that, we are truly lost sheep. We are ships without a rudder, without a compass, in the middle of a sea that's raging. Uh, we have no clue, but we do have you. We have your word. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to pay for debt, our debt of sin, that if we would just trust him and believe in him and have him and commit our lives to him, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, he said, I'm standing at the door knocking. And if you will open the door, I'll come in to you, and you'll sup with me, and I with you, and we will be this way forever. And so, Lord, you know, that's what we depend upon. We depend upon your goodness. And, uh, you know, sometimes you read the Bible, and, and we're not too sure about what this or that is the other thing. But uh, the main thing is that you are good. You are good. You're always good. You have been good, you are good, you will always be good. You, you were great, you are great, you will be great. And so that's what we really hang our life on. Uh, as we come this morning, I know many of us have uh, different ailments that we're dealing with. We have different frustrations, different uh, needs, you know, and uh, you know them all. You know them all. We want to say a special prayer, though, for our dear friend Sharon, who's Who's got? Who's going through? You know some difficult uh, physical things uh, with illness. And Lord, we just pray that you would put your hand on her, and that you would heal her, however you choose to heal her. You may use a doctor. You may not use a doctor. Uh, whatever you want to do is fine. We just pray that you'd be glorified in her. We love her. She's such a sweetheart. But you know it is a difficult time. We pray that you would help her find the right people. The right doctors, the right hospitals, just the right everything, and you can do that. You do do that. You direct all the time. You know, may, may some doctor just wake up tomorrow morning and say, you know, there's some lady I got to go find. You know, because that's the way you work. I don't know how it works, but it's what you do. So we pray for her. We just pray a special prayer that you would help her and everybody else. I mean, the rest of us, everybody's got something. And if you don't know what it is, you still got it. Uh, but we're all we're all creatures that are that are marching towards eternity. We pray that it's uh, because of our faith in Christ and His finished work; it'll be with Him. But we're all headed in the same direction. We're all going to eternity. And so, Lord, as we go, we have different aches and pains and different difficulties. We think of still the conflict in the Ukraine with Russia. We think of conflicts all over the place. And the reason is because men's hearts are deceitfully wicked. 
And, uh, and that's sin. That's, that's the world we live in. But you have overcome that. And you give victory. And uh, you do bring healing. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things become new. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And uh, so that's what we hang our head on, our head on upon this morning. So we just bring all that to you, Lord. Pray that you continue to bless our time. You are a great God, and that's what we're celebrating. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?
it's true. Well, for one, there is no other gods out there. But even if there were, you would be above all of them. But the Bible tells us you're it and you are so great. And we're going to see that today. Help us see that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Find the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. For, for those of you that think uh, preaching is no big deal, I once heard that the energy expended by even the mildest preacher, I think it's equivalent to eight hours work of labor. So, and I really don't know why that is, because it doesn't, it doesn't really feel that way. But, uh, you know, I know the first two rows are the coldest, and uh, the warmest is up here. And basically, from Heidi back, it warms up. But here it's cold. All right. So now you know. If you're hot, come forwards. If you're cold, go backwards. If you're really cold, just come up here. I'll give you a chill. Actually, the warmest place is up in the crowded balcony. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Okay. Psalm 48, verse 1. Let me get my clock. You're going to want wish I had my clock. There you go. Psalm 48, verse 1. Korah says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. So I'm standing there, sitting there, and Cora says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And knowing me, I'd say, well, yeah, and how, how do I know? I mean, God is great. Yeah, we can say, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, but how do we know he's really that great? Well, you go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we look at what God has done. That's how you find out how anybody is great or small or whatever, basically by what they have done. So we can see by what God has done whether he truly is great or not. And as we work our way to Deuteronomy 15, I think this is very important. Because we're going to get to a passage of scripture, like I said, may raise more questions than it answers. But you want to keep the big picture. And the big picture is God is great. And he is taking care of Israel. He loves Israel. Or you could put it this way. He's taking care of his people. He loves his people. And that's the big picture. And he provides for them. All of the details and things, uh, you know, we can, we can discuss. Because the problem is none of us lived thousands of years ago. None of us were here when Moses gave the law. And I know that the people to whom Moses got it perfectly understood what he said. But we are thousands of years separated. We have a language barrier. We have a geographic barrier. We have a culture barrier. So we have to try to figure out the best that we can what God said. And so you go to godly men throughout the centuries that have studied this, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. But let's begin with just the fact that God indeed is great. I love, well, I like I love the book of Deuteronomy. I wouldn't have chosen it if I didn't like it. Well, I guess, I guess that's beside the point. But what I like about Deuteronomy is I read Deuteronomy, is I realized this is God and us, God and His people. And what I saw throughout the book of Deuteronomy was God. 
and what he does, what he did for Israel, what he's doing for his people today, and what he will do for us all the way to the end. For example, Deuteronomy 4.32. He says, Indeed, ask now concerning the former days which were before you, since the day God created man on the earth. How great is our God? He's the creator. Cliff read for us the last verse of, Re of Revelation 4. says, everything that is, God created according to his will. Everything. And when he started, there was nothing. He didn't go to the workshop and pick a little of this off or a little of that off. I mean, as I enjoyed the refreshments in the back yesterday as Mary and Charlene were making them, that's what they were doing. They were taking a little from this cupboard, this, and from that cupboard, that, and they put it together and baked it. And when I got hungry and went out for one, I was told, it's not ready yet, the dough is rising. <laughs> and so I went back and prayed, God, help that dough rise, because... And it's very good. So anyway, God didn't do that. He didn't take any. He just created out of nothing man. Verse 32, and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything been done like this great thing, or has anything been heard of, have, have been heard like it? Anybody else created anything out of nothing? Today we can create things, but it's all out of something. God created out of nothing goes on. So he's great. Has, has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you heard it and survived? I mean, as God is so great, he communicated to us. He didn't just leave it up to us to figure it out. God did, you know, God didn't, if you take a globe, and we've got one at the end of our hallway, you know, a globe that you can turn, you know, God didn't create it, spin it, and just say, good luck. No, he communicated to the people he made for his earth. And he told them, you just go across the page to Deuteronomy chapter 5, when he gave them the great, the Ten Commandments, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or anything like it from above. You shall not take my name in vain. You know, we go on. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet anything that ain't yours. So God's communicating. He's showing us who he is through his law. He says, I'm not a murderer, so don't do it. I'm not immoral. I'm holy, so don't do it. And, and has, anybody, has anything like been done that before? No, verse 34, back to chapter 4. Or has a God tried to do, or has a God tried to go to take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders and by wars and by mighty hand, by an outstretched arm, by great terrors, as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? You remember in chapter 8, it says, Remember how God brought you into the wilderness, verse 15. He led you, just listen, don't try to, this is all just working up to, to where we're going. He led you through the great terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. And what did, you, what did your God do? He brought you water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that you might then test you for your good in the end, because he wanted you to trust him. 
So, hey, God provided. Then he goes on to say, uh, verse 35 in chapter 4, To you it has been shown that you might know the Lord. All this is given to you so that you might know how good he is. He is God. There is no other besides him. Out of the heavens he let you hear his voice to discipline you, and on the earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words from the midst of the fire. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose your descendants after them, and he personally brought you from Egypt by his great power. Not only is God the creator, God did all that, but he did this personally. He, he didn't send a delegation. He did this personally. As I was reviewing this last night, I remember John chapter 6, one of the verses that always causes me to kind of pause and go, whoa. Listen to, just listen, John chapter 6. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. The one who comes to me I'll certainly not cast out. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For those of you that are looking, it's verse 39 now. <clears throat> this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. You can run, but you can't hide. And really, from God, you're not going to want to run that often or that long. And then verse 40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is not going to send a, res a delegation. He's going to do it. Is that person, I mean, let me ask, is that a great God or what? Personally, brings them out, back to Deuteronomy 4, driving out before you, verse 38, nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you uh, this land of your inheritance as it is today. Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is the God in heaven above and on the earth below and there is no other. Moses is just reminding them over and over, we have a great God. How do I know? Look at what he's done. You are standing here today uh, about to go across the Jordan into this promised land, a land that really, it's not your, you didn't do anything to it. You didn't plant a crop, you didn't build a house, and you're going to go and inherit all of it. And God's going to take these people that are there, and he's going to drive them out, and he got you out of Egypt, he sent you to Egypt so you wouldn't starve in the famine, he took care of you for all of the 40 years we've been traveling, you think, look at, wake up, Israel. You have a great, great God. All right, now let's go. That's, I guess that's enough. I'll skip some. I, I just really got excited about that. Chapter 14. Let's go to chapter 14. So now we're moving up to how great of a God you've got, Israel. I think chapter 14, verses 1 and 2 are key, where it reminds them, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You are the sons and daughters of, the, of this great, awesome God who's done all this, who is doing all this, and who will do all that he said he would do. You are his sons. For you shall not cut yourself nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. For you are a holy 
people to the Lord your God. You are his sons, you, and therefore you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his chosen. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you are his people. And what the Bible teaches us, what Deuteronomy teaches us, God cares for his people. God takes care of his people. That's the big point. All right? To see how that goes, let's go to chapter 15. And predominantly, this passage is dealing with how God deals with the poor. Defined, the word is defined as those that are in want, are needy, are oppressed. And because of that, tend to be in a wretched condition. That's really the context of what we're looking at. And it begins back at the last two verses of chapter 14. You remember in chapter 14, we had the tithes that God was setting apart. One part fed, went to the Levites. It was basically, all, all of this is basically their taxes. So the part of it funded the government. The second part was for the great potluck dinner that was held every year in Jerusalem. In, in, in some fought predominantly the Feast of Tabernacles to where they celebrated God in the harvest. But every member, third and sixth year, you didn't go to Jerusalem, you stayed home. And you took all of the stuff that you had and you invited the poor and the needy and the people that had no means to get to Jerusalem, had nothing to take to Jerusalem. So those third and sixth years were given so that they could have some refreshment and enjoy that. God's taking care of the poor and needy. He didn't have to do that. So that's where we're at, verse 28 of chapter 14. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and you shall deposit it in your own town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, the alien, the orphan, and the widow, they don't have resources either who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. That's important. So we're going to find out that God cares for the poor, God takes care of the poor, and if we just follow directions, God's going to bless and provide. Right? Verse, end of verse 29, the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. However, there will be no poor among you. Since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, all his commandment which I am commanding you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you, and will lend, and you will lend to many nations, but you may not will not borrow, and you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not 
harden your heart, nor close your hand from the poor, from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying, well, hey, the seventh year, the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he will cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him and your heart will not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your, to your needy, and the poor in your land. Now, we go through that, and in, in, I think, boy, actually, the more you go through that, the more questions you'll have. It's like, well, number one, what is he saying? How, how is this going to work? And what, what about this? What about a stingy person? What about a very clever, evil person? You know, uh, you, could, you, you, get to the, you get to the sixth year and you borrow all this stuff because, you know, I don't have to pay it next year. And so you got all that stuff rolling around your head, and that's where I think it really helps to, uh, to pray, to read, and to read what other people have said. But you'll notice the poor are the ones in view. Verse 4. There will be no poor among you. Verse 7, if there is a poor man. Verse 9, uh, you know, you don't want to be hostile and stingy towards your poor brother. Verse 11, the poor will always be with us. God is providing for the poor. Why? Because he is a great God and he cares for his children. Now, he does it in primarily two ways. Okay? The first one is by law. By law. He sets down a law. Verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. If you go back to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23, you find that God had already set up the seventh year. You shall sow, verse 10, you shall sow your land, in other words, work the land for six years, and gather in its yield. Yeah, that's what you do. You plant, we'll say you plant in the spring, you harvest in the fall, or it may take a year or two, but you're going to do that for six years. The seventh year Verse 11, on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow. In other words, you do all your farming for six years. The seventh year, you go to Hawaii. Or, I mean, you take, you, you're not going to do anything to your land. Why? So that the needy of your people may eat. And whatever they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. And it, it's kind of the basic same thing is in Leviticus 25 as well. But since we don't have time, and this is really not a class in the Old Testament, we'll, we'll just, you got the point. Every six years, for six years I can, I can work the land. Seventh year I'm to let it fallow, let it rest. It's going to rest. By the way, 
Since God's the creator and he's a great God and he's pretty smart, he knows. Let the land rest. Part of the problems we have today is because we don't let the land rest. We have raped our land. right? And you, you can just think, Google that. So it's a good idea to do that. And then, uh, and then whatever is there, whatever just grows. You didn't plant it, but, you know, stuff has been planted, and it's going to keep going through its season. And whatever comes up, hey, the poor and the needy that, don't, that normally don't have anything, they can go for it and have a great old time. Well, I do need to look at Leviticus 25 because you may be asking, okay, that's great. I got it. We, we plant for six years, we reap for six years. This is how we make our living. This is how we eat. But God, what are we going to do in the seventh year? What are we going to eat? How are we going to survive if we let it lie fallow? Well, he covers that in Deuteronomy, rather in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 18. You shall thus observe my statutes, keep my judgments, so as to carry them out, that you may live securely in the land, and the land will yield its produce, so that you can eat your fill and live securely on it. But, verse 20, if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year? If we do not sow or gather in our crops, then God is speaking, I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year, that it will bring forth a crop for three years. And then when you are sowing the eighth year, you shall eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when its crop comes in. What God is saying is just like the manna. Remember he told the man, the, guy, the children of Israel, I'm going to give you manna from heaven every morning. And you go out and gather what you can eat that day. And if you, if you try to store it up, it'll turn to worms. And some people, obviously, they try to do that. But then he said, the seventh day is the Sabbath rest, so you're not going to go out there and gather it. But on the sixth day, you're going to gather enough for the seventh day. So it's the same principle. Again, the big point is God is providing. Because, see, we would say, humanly speaking, this doesn't make any sense. Well, I can see it making sense to let the land rest. Well, what are we going to eat? Well, he says, I'll take care of it. Just follow my instructions. It was to be a time of rest and to help provide for the poor. So back to Deuteronomy 14 or 15. So Moses picks up on that, or God picks up on that. The Sabbath rest, as far as the land goes, is mentioned in Exodus 23 and Leviticus 25. In Deuteronomy 15, this is the only place he talks about remitting debts. It's the only place. And it does raise some questions. Uh, for example, debts to who? Uh, is this only for the year of the Sabbath, of the Sabbath, the sabbatical year? Because nobody's working. So how are you ex expected to pay for your debt during that year? And a lot of commentators believe it's only uh, you don't pay for the seventh year. Others say no. It's a permanent. Uh, Undoing of your debt. You don't have to pay it this year or next year and, and hopefully don't get in the same jam you were in. So so you can read, you know, if you go to, for example, I'll, I'll give you some help. Just go to Bible Hub and, and when you get there, you'll find it. Click commentary, find the passage. You just start reading. Or you can even Google it. It's interesting. 
Kyle and Dalich, Barnes, Benson, Jamison, Fawcett, and Brown all say that this is a temporal relief. This is a relief only for the seventh year. John Gill and John MacArthur both say no, this is a permanent, complete rest. And honestly, they both make sense. I'm not, so I don't think anybody is absolutely sure which is what you can make a case really either way. But, the, you know, but again, this is where I said, just remember the big picture. God is providing. He's providing for the poor. For example, Benson says, listen to this. This cannot be meant, and now he's talking about granting the remission of the debts. He says this can't, cannot be meant of money lent to those who borrowed it for the purchase, purchase of lands, trade, or other improvements, and who are able to pay. Interesting thought. For nothing could have been more absurd than to have extinguished such debts, whereby the borrower was enriched. But he goes on to say, but it must be understood of money lent to an Israelite who was in poor circumstances, as appears really from the whole context that this is about the poor. So you could make an argument that way. Others, though, like uh, like Gill and MacArthur said, no, this is a permanent, this is a release, it's just a release. At the end of six years, everybody's debt is canceled. Th neither this year nor afterwards, period. Then it's interesting, a number of commentators, and here I'll read from John Gill, he says, but if a person afterwards should be in a capacity to pay his debts, he would be obliged in conscience, duty, and honor to pay them Though no reserve was made in the law for this. I thought that was an interesting thought. And several had that same thought. So, at the end of every six years, something happens. Something happens to the debt. If this is the debt to the poor only, well, then they would be forgiven. Of that, if it's for everybody, yay. But you notice you can, you, this is only for your brother. Verse 2, this is for your neighbor and for your brother. This is for a fellow Israelite. This is within the family. Verse 3, from a foreigner, you, they keep paying. You keep getting your goods from the foreigner. In fact, that was part of God's provision. If you go down to verse, uh, uh, verse 6, it says, the Lord will bless you as he has promised you. He'll lend to, you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. So you're going to be lending, because God blessed this nation. And so you're going to be lending to a lot of people, and you can get interest from them. The scripture did not allow them to take interest from, their, from the Israelites. So when you loan, it was a straight loan. You need 10 bucks, it's 10 bucks. It's not 10 bucks plus 15%. So they, they didn't have loan charts in Israel for their own people. Whatever loan charts would have been there would have been... Uh, I guess the loan sharks got a bad name, so forget I said that. So as you can go for the foreigners, you can you can you can lend, you can borrow, and, and they'll be paying you regardless. There's no help from them. But the seventh year is interesting. And then you get to verse four. So I said there's a lot of questions here. Verse four says, however, however, and we're saying what however what? However, there will be no poor among you. What do you mean, however, there will be no poor among us? Uh, 
Let me find page one. I got too many people. Uh-oh. We all could be in trouble if I can't find page one. Uh, however, <laughs> that is amazing. Did I drop it? I didn't drop a page. Okay, well, I'll, we'll just tell you. However, uh, the ESV translates it. That's what I had written down. I can't find it. What's the ESV say? Verse 4. Anybody who's got ESV? Matt, what's ESV say? Verse 4. Dave? Now, folks, uh, this, is, this is good. We are in chapter 15 of Deuteronomy. Just stay there. 15, right? 4. Verse 4. But there will be no more among you. But there will be no more among you. New King James. Uh, I was counting on Karen. She's not here. Anybody got the New King James? Uh, it said, it's some something. You know, the interesting thing is, okay, we've got, we've got this, uh, we've got this going on. And, uh, however, there'll be no poor in Israel. And then verse 11, you'll always have the poor in Israel. So what in the world is going on? Let me read you from John Gill and try to explain it as I go, because it, 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 it makes sense. You'll see in a second. Say, he says, verse 4, that when you get rid of the debt, whether it's only for that year or it's just gone, save when there will be no poor among you, then such a law could not take place where there would be no debts to release, obviously. So you're saying, okay, I read that, but if there's no poor in Israel, it's a moot point. There's no debts to forgive. For this was never designed, and I thought this was good. This is, again, God's goodness. Because one of the questions I had, well, you know, this, this really helps out the borrower. It really socks it to the lender. And it just, part of that just doesn't seem fair. And so I liked what Gil said. He says, the design was this was never designed to screen rich persons from the payment of their just debts. Or whatever were in capacity of so doing, only such as were really poor and unable to pay. So in other words, what he is saying is that if you could, you were to pay. Again, if this is only for the poor, which you could make an argument from the context, that would be true. It supposes that this might sometimes be the case that there were none poor in Israel or needed the benefit of such a law. And according to some, if they were to observe the commandments of God, then that would not happen. So that's one viewpoint. If you were to observe the commandments of God, as he says, you observe this and I will bless you. Verse 5, if only you listen obediently to the Lord your God. If you follow directions, I will so bless you, and there will be no poor people. Remember chapter 11, verse 13. If you listen to these commandments, I'm commanding you, commanding you today, love the Lord your God, serve him all your heart and soul. Verse 14, then he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rains, that you may gather your grain and your new wine and your oil. He'll give you grass from your fields for your cattle. You will eat and be satisfied. And then you get to Deuteronomy 28, and he says, you're going to be blessed every which way but loose if you just follow directions. 
if you just follow my commandments. So one of the arguments is, and one of the ways of looking at this, is if they would have done that, there'd be no poor people. Another way, so that would be a conditional view of this. There's another view, he says, that this is an end in itself. In other words, if you forgive the debt to everybody, period, or if it's just the poor, there'll be no, there'll be no poor among you by observing this law, Gill says, all debts being released once in seven years. It would, and I like this part, it would prevent persons falling into distress and poverty to such a degree as to be in want and become beggars. And, and that makes sense too. I think God is just trying to give these people a chance. Because you know, I mean, I think we've all been in debt and maybe we are in debt. And you know, you can get buried and so he says, look at if we get rid of this every seven years, let's be smart. I'm giving you another chance. <clears throat> for the Lord will greatly bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess, which is either a reason why there would be no poor, should they observe the commandments of the Lord their God. I'm giving you a land, you observe my commandments, you're going to have all this stuff, everybody's going to have enough, there is no poor. Or, God's blessing is a reason why they should release the debts of the poor, because they were so greatly blessed with a fruitful land, which brought them such an increase as enabled them to free their poor debtors when in, the circumstance, when in their circumstances were unable to pay them. So I think the point is, if you follow directions, everybody's going to have enough. You forgive the debts, and you can do that. You can just, I don't need it. I don't need it. I got so much, you don't have to pay that. It's not a big deal. Again, I said, you know, you can think about all of this, and there's all this. Uh, the main thing is the plain thing, and the plain thing, God is making a provision. His basic provision is you follow my directions and everything will go well. But if it goes sideways as it did, then every seventh year you shall forget, you shall forgive the debts. All right? So now, the second way that, uh, the second way that he provided for the people through law, Okay, number two, number two, through the community. The law was, however you look at this law, it was something, and it was a release for the poor. And some would argue it was a release for everybody, but everybody I read seemed to say it was particularly for the poor. And like I said, you can make that argument here from the context, because they're the ones that are in view. So he's going to take care of them through a law, so that we can forgive your debt, at least for the seventh year, and then you pick it up, or it's just gone. But then he uses the community, and this is where it really applies to us, because we're not under that law. You know, we're now in the New Covenant. God didn't give us this law in the New Testament. This law is not part of the New Covenant. Now, some may argue that, but I would argue it isn't. Nowhere in the New Testament does it tell us to do that. So then, how is God caring for the poor today? How is he taking care of people? Well, he, he's using community today as he did then. Look at verse 7. 
If there is a poor person among you, of your brothers, any of your towns, don't harden your heart, what are you to do? Verse 8, you're to freely open your land, your hand and generously give him what is sufficient for his needs. You give him what he needs. You've got to be careful. Because he says, beware, because God knows us. You know, remember he told the nation of Israel in chapter 9, as you go in there, don't think that you're, I'm getting rid of all the people in front of you because you're so much better than they are. Do not say in your heart, this is 9-4, do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land, but it's because of the wickedness of these nations that I'm dispossessing them. It is not your righteousness. Because verse, it, it, it goes on to say, because you are a stubborn, rebellious people. But I love you. And I'm going to care for you. And so he says here, I'm going to care for you through this law and then through the community. Somebody sees a brother in need, they're to help them. Verse 10, you're to generously give. Not out of a grieving heart, but just out of because I want to help you. And then notice the end of verse 10, you do this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in your work and in all your doings. And that's where, you know, the argument lends itself to, look it, it's, this is a forgiving of a debt for everybody, and I don't care because I loaned you it, but I don't need it. Because I've got so much God has blessed me with. God has blessed me with. You know, God, God is so, so very um, good, so very understanding, and he knows us, and he knows somebody's going to say, ha ha, seventh year's next year, you're asking me for a loan. I'm not going to get it back because it's going to be gone next year. So you know what? See me the eighth year. Because that's the way we are. We are selfish and we are greedy. But you know, as you go back to, well, don't. Because I know I, I tend to get people lost. Stay there. Let me read this for you. As somebody said, it'll be there when you get home. You can look it up. Leviticus 25, after he talked about the sabbatical year, he talked about the year of Jubilee, which is another thing, which is 50, at the end of 50 years, and this is where uh, you can make an argument in Deuteronomy 15, I don't want to confuse you, that it is only a release to the poor, because the year of Jubilee was a release for everybody. Leviticus 25.10, you shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release throughout the land to all its inhabitants. So at the end of 50 years, everything went to zero. And, and you didn't buy land forever. You know, he's going to say in verse 23, the land moreover shall not be sold permanently for the land is mine. You are but aliens and sojourners with me. The, longer, the, only, the, the longest you could own a piece of land was 49 years. And at 50 years, it all went back to where it came from. You remember who was key for the nation of Israel was their inheritance. Every tribe had a part of the land. You can look at your, your, your uh, most, well, some of you have a Bible. I know a lot of people are on phones. I'm not going to even go there. But, uh, <laughs> but if you go, if, if you have a Bible and you got maps, 
You can go, it'll show you the 12 tribes of Israel. East Manasseh is up there on, uh, to the west of the Sea of Galilee, and then Naphtali and Zebulun and Issachar and Manasseh would come down to Ephraim, Benjamin and Judah and Simeon, way in the south. So they had these areas that were there. God gave them. But if you were trading stuff and, and you sold part of your land, it was only for 49 years. It came back because God is protecting their inheritance. Because he knows that, he knows Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. He knows that. He knows Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep go astray. He knows that our tendency is that once we get it, we're going to grab hold of it and not want to ever let it go. So he says, you know what, at the end of every 50 years, get rid of it. But I love this part. He says, uh, Leviticus 25, 13, for those of you that are real fast, uh, on this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. If you make a sale, moreover to your friend or buy from your friend's hand, you shall not wrong one another. Don't wrong one another. Don't be a swindler. Don't be a shyster. Don't wrong one another. Corresponding to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall pay from your friend. He is to sell you according to the number of years of crop. In proportion to the extent, the years you shall increase its price. So in other words, if you are selling this in year one of the Jubilee, you got 49, 48 years to go, well, then you're going to pay more because it's going to be a longer time. But in proportion to the fewness of years, you shall diminish the price. If you're at year 48 and you're going to buy something and next year it goes back, well, it's going to be cheaper. The point is, verse 17, so you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear the Lord your God, for I am the Lord your God. What I love about this, here's the big thing, here's the plain thing. God knows us and he's setting up things to control us. All law is control. Why are there stop signs, traffic lights? Because we can't be trusted to be courteous when we get to that, that thing. And somebody's going to, of course, they cheat anyway. So I see God's graciousness in all of this. He uses community. And they were to be, they were, they, they were to willingly give. Okay, like I said, we do not live in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. How does God care? What's his provision for us today? It is community. And predominantly for his believers, it's the church. Let me just run through some of these quickly. 1 Timothy 5, you may know that he says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. He's talking about the church. We know that in Acts 6, verse 1, that there arise the difficulty because some widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. They were feeding people because they were poor. But he says, if you've got a widow who's a widow indeed, in other words, uh, she's a widow, if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents for this is respectable in the sight of God. Community, your family should care for you. 
He's going to say at the end, if, if a if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so it can take care of the widows who have nobody. A widow indeed who has nobody. There is no family. The church did that. You remember that 1 John 3 I've said this so many times I forget where, but John 3.16, we know, for God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. 1 John 3.16 says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we have to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? You see the correlation with Deuteronomy 15? Don't be greedy. Don't close off your heart. If you've got the stuff, use it. Give it to them. Little children, verse 18, let us love in word. Let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And you're saying, yeah, but, but what if I run? I'm going to run out of stuff. What about me? Glad you asked. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Chapter 8 and chapter 9, again, if you want, if you're really interested, look this up when it's posted on the internet. Take notes and say, I'm going to read that. I hope you do. I mean, don't take my word for it. You know, go check it out. 2 Corinthians 9, the Corinthian church was taking an offering to help other people in Macedonia. And listen to what God says through Paul to you and me in the church today. Verse 6. Now this I say, who who spares sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And that's pretty clear. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You can fool other people. You cannot fool God. I remember when when we had Kate, when I was part of KCFA radio station, Christian radio station up the hill, and we were doing a fundraiser there, and I was up there on a Saturday, and we were—I don't know what I was doing. I was on the air, and they were saying, "Say a few words, Pastor." And I says, well, "Okay." You know what comes to mind with giving is Second Corinthians nine six, and I said, "Look, at, we don't want you giving if you don't want to give." And I got all these looks like, "Well, you're a great help," but I said, "Here's the way God wants you to give." You know, each one's as he's purposed in his heart. God loves a cheerful giver. And if God is moving your heart, you need to give. But if he isn't and you don't want to, then don't, because that's not good. But God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that are always having all sufficiency. Verse, this is verse 8. So having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Does that not ring a bell to Deuteronomy 15? As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for the sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in everything and all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. See, the point is, God, big point, God, I'm providing, you just do this, trust me, I give, you yeah, somebody you need, you have the means to meet that need, meet it, and let me supply you. 
And when I do, who gets the glory? He does. Because I don't know, this in a lot of ways doesn't make sense, but God is awesome. And then remember, two more. Well, three more. Matthew 6. This was a big one. This is almost a two-parter, but that very seldom works. So just bear with me. Matthew 6, Jesus says, the disciples were worried about what are they going to eat and what are they going to wear. And you remember the story, verse 25. What are you guys so confused about? What are you hung up on this for? Your life isn't that stuff anyway. But I love it. Consider the birds of the air that do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And I'll never forget reading G. Campbell Morgan, and he said, but you could have put in there, but you do. Come on, guys. Realize who you are and who the birds are. The birds don't stress about this. They get up in the morning, look for bird, a seed, they go, to, they go to bed, and your heavenly Father feeds them. But you can plant, and you can sow and reap and gather in the barns. Let God provide for you. Same thing with the lilies of the field. And then he'll say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? All these things shall be added to you. What I love about our great God is it's consistent. Oh, we don't have that law in the New Testament. It's the same principle. You just give and let me give to you. You just follow directions. Part of that is if you have goods and your brother's in need, help your brother. And let me supply you. Let me supply you. Now, I do need to add this caveat because it's important. This may answer some questions, may raise a whole other discussion. But I, I, I did this Friday. I need to do it now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 gives us a balance to the whole thing of this giving. All right? Listen. I didn't write it. This is God through Paul. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof, or keep away, from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that you would not be burdened to any of you. We would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we don't have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you just so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing what is good. That's the balance. If you will not eat, if you will not work, you will not eat. Proverbs talks about the, the, the appetite of a hungry man who works to his favor, so he goes out and works. We are to care for those that can't or are truly poor, but if you can, you need to be out there doing something. So what, I mean, I know that's a lot of things. 
you think it's confusing to hear it, you just try studying that for a week or two and read all these different viewpoints. Big point. God is providing for the poor because he loves and cares for them. He does it through a law of that remission of debt, whatever, however it panned out. And by the way, a question is, did they ever do it? You read the end of 2 Chronicles and you find out for 490 years they, it appears they didn't. Because that's why God sent them into captivity for 70 years so that the Sabbaths could be caught up that they didn't do. 70 times 7 is 490. So we know they didn't do it. And you know what's amazing? You know, this just blows my mind. Uh, and I guess since I'm way past time, I might as well just keep going. <laughs> Did I hear any groans out there? Um, uh, where is that? Oh, here it is. Well, it's amazing. Uh, look this up when you get home. Leviticus 26. Read that whole chapter. But in 27 to 28, 31 to 35, he tells them, if you do not follow this law, I'm going to punish you. And you're going to go into a land until, and the land will be fallow while you're in captivity because you haven't done it. He tells them that. And, and then in Deuteronomy 31, 10 through 13, it says that Moses, when he had written the law, he said that you are to, every, every seventh year, so every one of these years that comes up, when you're at the Feast of Tabernacles or booths, you're to have the whole law read to you. So every seventh year at the national potluck, they had the word of God read to them. So they are without excuse. They didn't do it. But we have a God that provides in amazing ways if we would but trust him. So, to you, you say, what does God want me to do? Listen, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, for the fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so that your barns may be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So let's end kind of where it ends in Deuteronomy 15. You shall generously give to the poor person. Your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertaking. I mean, I don't know. We all want blessing from God. Here's how you get it. So, Lord, I know that that's a lot of information. But the big point is you gave it to us. And you gave it to us so that it would, it would resonate not only in our hearts, but our minds and in our pocketbook. Help us to be generous people because we're depending upon you to fill up the vats, as it were, as we give it out. We thank you for your greatness that you provide for your people, not only through law, 
but through community. And now we're part of that community. So it falls to us. May we be generous, always depending upon you. Just think about that. Offer a prayer and just say, Lord, help me do this. Help me do this. And then we'll
Father, thank you for being so great. May we worship you and just trust you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.